Welcome, everyone, to Fleeting Thoughts, an altered TCG podcast, part of the Main Deck Podcast family. I'm Dan. And I'm Jordan, and welcome, everyone. Today, our topic is going to be going over a mini set review, if you will, uh, diving a little deeper into the nitty gritty of the demo decks, going over some possible pros and cons or, you know, potential weaknesses or strengths of each of the different factions uh, that we have on display so far. Obviously, there's going to be tons more cards coming, hopefully soon in the future, once the road shows kick off. But uh, for now, we have the demo decks, and we're delighted to bring you our thoughts on them. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited because, you know, like you were mentioning, these demo decks, just a little chunk of uh, of the game, but there there's going to be so much crazy, like I think deck building happening once we get the full set reveal. The set itself is like, I don't have the exact number in front of me, nearly 500 cards is actually what it is, I believe, right around there. I'll try and pull that up here in a second and just make sure I get the number, but um, we're getting faction shifted rares. We're getting, of course, the uniques and everything. So um, it'll be really fun though. We're just going to talk about, I think, what the demo decks are like right now, what we're experiencing, but then keep in mind, just in general, this game is going to expand massively from here and this is only set one. So uh, speaking of the demo decks, Jordan, I believe you were telling me a little bit ago that you have gotten to play a little bit more demo a few more times. How's that been going? Yes, it's been going fantastic. Uh, I've demoed a handful of extra friends. I've enlisted to come try the game. And every single one of them so far is left with a positive experience. A lot of them were like the second we finished one game, they're like, I'm in. Let me try this faction. I want to play again. Like, let's run it back. And we played a handful of games each time. Um, They seem to really be delighted by it. And even some of them that aren't super into card games seem like this, this might be a card game that they'll at least pick up casually or at the very least, come over and use my collection to play some card games when people are playing. Uh, it's been it's been great. I love it. Yeah, I think you mentioned uh, our our well now our mutual friend. He was he was just kind of your friend, Kyle, right? Um, yeah. But is I think after we we got a bonding experience when we went to Ascent Houston for the Grand Archive TCG big event <laughs> there, um, and now we all know how cool Kyle is. So can you tell me a little bit about like? What what decks did you guys play? What did he really attach to? I'm always interested to hear just what what people end up kind of getting drawn to with the different factions and altered. Yeah, so we played a handful of games. Um, of course, since it's Kyle, we didn't we didn't have any chains on or the classic like demo feel where you kind of lead them along, let them you know set the pace. Since I knew Kyle was good for it, and he'd get mad at me if I played to my fullest. We went full bore out of the gates. Um, he tried Liar at first. Uh, he kind of saw the art and was like, yo, I'm in. And he saw the word roll a dice to do something. And he's like, I'm in. So he wanted to play that. And I played Axiom for, I think, my third or second time. Um, and that went quite well. Axiom, I feel, had a, a little bit of an advantage uh, based on just being able to like spawn stuff. And he had a harder time keeping things on the board unless he rolled particularly well. Uh, it's definitely a live by the dice, die by the dice. Uh, then he went to, I forgot their name, the blue faction. Ortis. The Ortis. Yeah, he got to play Ortis. Yeah, come on, he, you're you're the, the English podcaster, like the only English paltered podcast. You got to know the names of these factions, Jordan. I know, I, I'll, I'll memorize them. I always just have like internal <laughs> names for me based on like their card effects. Blue, so I'm pink, like, green. The, that's the token faction, right? And then sure. pink in my head is the dice faction. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, so he played that one and I decided to try my hand with Liar. And uh, I, I definitely love the dice. 
The dice is exciting, but again, live by the dice, die by the dice. And it was really hard. The The games we played, he managed to first turn drop the permanent that lets him put a dude in both sides. And trying to fight two dudes on each side was, was rough. Um, and yeah. then uh, we tried a couple more games. I believe the next one he tried was Bravos, and I tried Muna. Um, that was my first time actually playing Muna outside of playing games in my head. Um, and that was pretty cool. I, I liked it. Um, he did a good job of kind of ousting my plans. Um, oh, no, he wasn't Bravos. He was... Uh, Izmir. Izmir. Yeah. yeah. I always forget how it's pronounced because it's spelled... I want to say Ymir, but I know it's not Ymir. Yeah. As um, soon as yeah. you said... As soon as you said he was ousting your plans, I knew exactly which faction we were talking about. Yep. And I actually was really pumped. I was going to close the game out with this sick gigantic dude and then he just banished it and banished like, oh, it yep oh no yep. And i had it because i had it anchored for like four turns in a row it was getting built up and built and then just banish and i was like oh sad okay and then he uh he played the obelisk that just made me walk back and then did seven in that area oh Yep, yep, yep. the the big uh, the big end game monster Saka Sakaburu, I think Saka Sakaburu. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, um, but yes, that uh, that is a Sakaraburu. Sakaraburu got it right here. Um, yeah, f- uh, seven cost four four four. When played from hand, the expedition opposing me moves one step back. Um, big sort of end game play tempo play uh, oh, from yeah. Izmir. Very cool. Yeah, he had an insult to injury by playing it in the zone that he just banished my big thing from too. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, no, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I think I yeah. think very clever thing you can do with that too is like if you know one thing I've experienced playing Muna uh, a, a bit more because Muna's been I think the the one I've just enjoyed the most is that Muna has um, Muna is very good in forest and water and has a number of units that have very low mountain stats. Um, and if based on how the map cards come up, if you end up like getting onto a mountain spot on the map and you, you can sometimes get a little bit stuck there for Muna, it's just hard to kind of push yourself over. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you ever do getting if getting Sakara Brood back onto that mountain step is like a lot more impactful, actually, than mm-hmm. just moving back to some other random spot against Muna. And I'm sure there's other interactions like that especially when we get the full game out i'm really curious to see how people how people sort of build how people think about the three biomes when they're building their decks and like which factions are there factions that are gonna like is is that moon thing going to be something that other factions have too like this faction is not very good in water um generally or stuff like that so um that's gonna be really exciting to see i'm pumped about it too just because like that also is like a small because you know me, part of the reason I like some of the games I like is the the openness of deck building. I like games where there isn't just like, if you're playing this, the obvious most optimal thing is playing, you know, this strategy. Um, and then the, the second place thing is just so far below it, it's it's hard to compete. But it, I like games where there's a lot of, a lot of knobs you can tweak with cards. Because like you said, you, within that too, there's like personal deck construction. You can be like, well, the plan of this deck is... I'm just going to ditch like literally everything, but like this, and then have this as a secondary for when I, you know, have to win it and then just hope I can skip like one side all the way over to meet them when they reach the, the one card. That's that one thing I'm bad at. 
So instead of surpassing that thing, you'll just empirically win on all the other things to meet on that you know spot could be potentially something you could work with depending on how the cards go out yeah for sure for sure um and i just want to uh, step back a second make sure i mentioned this i did pull up the actual numbers so um i think in actually the last episode i stated a number which was an early number i think i said there were around 400 cards in the set it was something that i had heard uh watching one of their live streams someone had mentioned it um, but we actually have on the FAQ for the page on altered.gg, we have the exact size of the core set. So it's going to be 18 hero cards, three per faction. We knew that 162 commons, uh, 100 of nine of those are characters. And then because there's 162 commons, that means there's 324 rare cards in set one, which is a, <laughs> just an absurd number of rare cards. And the thing that I like, I'm so pumped about with that is that you know that's because half of those are the upgraded commons in faction but the other half are literally the same number of cards as the number of commons in the game but all other factions are mixed around so you're going to the the uh with that with that sort of rarity restricted deck building it's going to be just it's going to be fascinating to see what sort of decks you can develop by shifting certain cards around. Um, they've been previewing a few, we've seen just a few little previews of some like faction shifted cards. Um, and they're, and they're just, it's, it's, it's exciting. I just can't wait. I can't wait to see more. I'm um, very excited as well. Yeah. But let's, let's, uh, start to move towards the topic today, which is to actually go through what we have right now. So we're talking about the demo decks and the sort of the demo deck experience. And if you haven't gotten a chance to print and play yet, I hope this is maybe going to be sort of a useful conversation to you where we just are going to talk over the six different factions, what they're good at, what they're bad at, um, where, where they have strong matchups, weaker matchups and sort of play strategies, before we get into that, I have to go through what we are doing now, our usual mentions of the couple ways you can support us if you do enjoy this podcast. So we really hope, of course, that we're bringing you content that you look forward to, that you enjoy listening to. And if you do enjoy listening to our podcast, um, there are a couple ways that you can support us and sort of show us that and uh, help the podcast grow and everything. The first thing you can do, easiest and cheapest thing you can do is of course, if you're watching this video on YouTube, you can give it a like, you can subscribe to the channel, make sure you don't miss the episodes when they come out. You can also comment down in the video below and, and let us know your thoughts on everything we talked about or altered in general. Um, if you're listening elsewhere, I want to mention we are now up on, uh, Fleeting Thoughts is now up on Spotify and iTunes. Um, to, we, we made sure to get two of the major platforms out there and we're propagating. Google kind of does its own thing. Google just kind of like when it finds it, it puts it up. So well, you know, I'm sure it'll be on there eventually too. Um, but the cool thing about Spotify and iTunes is that those have rating systems also. And if you enjoy this, you can go ahead, leave a little five-star rating that helps us get seen and shows us that you enjoy the content. Would really appreciate that. The second thing you can do to support the channel in general is when you're shopping for TCG products, um, not necessarily for altered because all this is the weird thing about this one is like altered. It's got its own marketplace that it's going to use. Um, but if you want to buy booster boxes when altered releases, uh, or if you play any other TCGs shopping on TCG player in the U S um, I, I know the shipping outside the U S is like very hit or miss and all like terrible costs and everything. But if you're in the U S shopping on TCG player, using our affiliate link, link to the down, down in the description below, or by typing bit.ly slash shop TCGs, that's bit.ly slash shop TCGs. It'll cost you nothing extra and it'll send a little kickback to us when you do that shopping. 
Um, so really appreciate all your support in all the different ways. Thank you guys so much for everything you do to help us provide content to you guys uh, as much as we can. So with that said, Jordan, we have six decks to talk about. We actually have some statistics, uh, which will be kind of fun to look at. Some that were just we just started going around today. I actually we just showed these showed up in the main deck Discord. I posted them on the altered Facebook group, um, and uh, it'll be fun to add that to our conversation as well. But we have six different factions. Where do you want to start? How should we how should we tackle this? Um, we could uh, be. Let's see. We can go. Let's do something interesting. We'll go a gradient on the colors. We can start with. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we'll start with uh, Ortis, and then we can uh, transition to uh, Yzmir because it's okay. A gradient over, and then uh, probably go to Lyra next. It's probably the, this is the Bravos, and then uh, we'll hit up Axiom, and then last, even though it's not a really good transition. Red. Red, brown, orange, yellow, grass green. comes from the brown ground, so then we'll go to green. I'm last. trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out where your brain concocted this. It's not like this isn't like a rainbow sequence. This is just like I'm pretty sure this is just whatever felt good to Jordan. So, all right, but that sounds good. Sure, we'll start with Ortis. Let's start with Ortis. Um, so, uh, so Ortis. Ortis is the faction of order and law and justice and keeping the keeping the peace and and everything. Um, Mechanically, Ortis is the faction of going wide, playing tokens, putting an army out, um, and and just sort of keeping control of of the board. Um, not in the same way as you might be used to from other TCGs. Not necessarily the like, I'm going to directly remove your units, um, but just you want to be the the main force out there. And I think there are going to be some effects also that are like punishing the opponent for doing certain things, kind of like the lawmaker type effects. We see that already in the rare frog prints um, in this deck as well. Um, And they're the kings of forcing you to have to cover all your bases too. Otherwise you risk them just slipping forward for free. Yes. So the big advantage (laughs) of, of the go wide strategy and altered the interesting thing that like the, the little nuance, the little tweak to the go wide strategy and altered that Ortis really shows us is that having one little one, one floating on one side of the expedition is going to make the opponent have to commit resources to deal with it. Even if it costs you almost nothing to do in most, in most card games, you put out a the the bottom of the barrel like baseline stat unit lowest cost possible, and a lot of card games you can just go well you know like whatever it'll go away eventually. It's it's what's that a twenty turn clock? I don't care about that. You know, in in altered that one one sitting over there, it's like literally if I don't do anything on there, they just get a free advancement. There's like it's <laughs> so I, you have to you have to cover it. Yeah, and unless they're on like something that only has one trait too you have to cover multiple traits because it's one 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 so you're like random throwaway characters that don't have a stat in certain things sometimes they can't help you block that small chump blocker and i would say that's not just like not just throwaway characters but actually that's i think a mechanical choice in certain factions when we we start talking about lyra will or lyra I, I, i never sure which way to say it but when we start talking about lyra we'll uh we'll talk about how those units are a little more uh a little more varied in their stats than some of the other ones really fitting with this just kind of like chaos gambling theme the lyra faction has more units that have zeros in one of their three stats 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think often an exchange have bigger in the other stats than than like they typically would uh, the baseline for other units. Um, I love it. And that will that actually that like I don't know if it's still in the set, but when we played at Gen Con, the leader, the the hero for Lyra at the Gen Con demos was directly playing off of playing units with zeros in their stats. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll save that for the Lyra conversation. But the point is certain factions are just going to have their look at their hand and go, well, I can put something there, but it, it won't stop them from advancing because everything in my hand right now has a zero on it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's just Ordis has proven to be in my, in my opinion, and actually not just in my opinion, based on the stats we'll talk about in a second, Ordis has proven to be in the demo deck session. I think one of the, um, one of the simplest decks to perform well with is the way I would put it. Um, I, I think it would be easy and not necessarily wrong to call it the strongest demo deck. Um, but I think more accurately, it's the deck that its strategy is straightforward and its strategy is potent into most other specific types of deck interaction you'll see. Um, there's there It's hard. I think right now, really, we're in the demo decks, we're missing the things that typically the types of card effects that typically deal with go wide strategies, things like mass, you know, mass removal, mass, like, uh, bouncing cards, or I'm sure there will be some cards in the game. It's if not in set one, at some point that are like, you know, uh, return all units in particular expedition to their owner's hand or to the reserve or something, some expensive card that does that. And um, we need that. There's already a keyword that helps deal with it. Gigantic. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, true. A great true. answer against Ordis. You throw a gigantic on there, and not only is it generally gigantic things generally have good. Well, the few that we've seen anyway, the like one or two, they have very good stats in all three colors, and they count for both sides. So the fact that they have two weak dudes on each side is like, oh well, I'll play this one dude, and now you have to do a lot more legwork to make the difference. We do have one. Yeah, we do have one gigantic creature, Atlas, uh, in in the Bravos faction is a three three. 333 for five um that has gigantic and you're absolutely right that i think that is that's like the 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 biggest way to just kind of say well or just you have to try a little bit harder to to get anywhere right now uh but based on the numbers we've seen and or interestingly um so i'm, I'm just gonna go ahead if i can link this in the description i will um but i have to figure out how to get this image properly linked in here but it's basically a chart that's just showing um, a number of games played, a number of wins for that faction, and then a just mathematically what that win rate works out to. This has been tabulated by people. It's a French site um, called myludo.fr where people can just go ahead and like put stats into it. So also, I mean, like I assume nobody out there is just like, I'm going to go and mess with the stats and, and make up a bunch of wins for Ordis or whatever. Uh, but may, I mean, that's a possibility too. Uh, but it has Ordis listed at the lowest number of games recorded with 20 record, recorded games, 14 recorded wins for a win rate of 70, which is the um, the highest win rate of any of the uh, factions by just a yeah. small amount. But Yeah, um, I can definitely see that too. Because like you said, it's uh, out of all the decks, it is definitely the most straightforward, especially if you're coming from other regular card games. Like, it's the most easy to see the through line of what what to do each turn. Um, not that a lot any of the demo decks are like particularly like brain like racking, but 
it is the most straightforward like oh i want to put dudes here and dudes here and then i have x dudes so i can play this person to give me some value yeah and and i think the other thing about this ordis demo deck in particular is that looking through it again this deck just has it it just kind of has a little bit of everything um there are some decks that are missing like muna has no way to interact with your opponent's things the way to interact with them is just to be bigger and uh and you know that kind of thing um bravos i don't think has any card draw i think bravos just has to rely on putting the companion out and and using its its reserve pretty well ordis has ordis has a permanent that creates a constant gain of getting a recruit in your companion exhibition basically um meets the hero by putting a recruit on both sides every turn uh, it has a card with that does card draw. It has a card that does sabotage. It has a card. It does have a removal card. It has a card that puts boost counters on everything. Um, it's it's just kind of it's just got it's got everything it needs to. So I'm sure just when you know in the smaller deck demo deck environment, you're able to find you need a removal spell. Oh, you know, you found the removal card. If you need to boost to go big and and take the opponent out, you got that. If you need to set up something that goes longer, it just kind of has a little bit of everything it needs. And I don't think this will be the case necessarily in the full game oh, when decks get a lot more. No, they, they're going to get laser focused, right? And then you're going to have to deal with that. But in the demo experience, it's just, I feel like it's a good takes all comers. Yeah. It's also because the demo decks are, I think, 10 cards smaller than a regular deck too. So, and they yeah. have, you know, uh, three cards for most of the three copies of most things. So there's a good chance you'll find the answers. And like you said, since it just has that little bit of every potential out for a strategy, there's a high chance in the demo deck land that you're going to at some point draw the out you need to like help you on the turn that you need to go off. Yep. So it's, it's probably fairly to do with that. And again, like you said, it's, it's not by a huge margin. Like they're not like bulldozing all the other demo decks. It's just, it's just got that little extra edge to kind of soften the edges. If you, you know, maybe make a mistake a turn or something. It's not going to yep. cost you the demo game. Absolutely. So, Jordan, if someone grabs Ortis and wants to have a good first game with it, do you have any strategy or or advice or any cards to look out for? You want to you want to tell them about? Um. Well, a card to look out for, not necessarily because you can do anything to it, because I don't remember. I think there's one or two cards, maybe in Yzmir, that'll allow you to interact with it. But if they get their permanent out, the one that allows them to spawn. A person in the other side of the field as well, going through that carrier. wide pressure. Yeah, the Ordis Carrier. Uh, you're going to have to, I almost want to say you're just going to have to drive in one side and hope you can win a race because it's going to be rough. Um, try to get them to overcommit to one side so you can, you know, beat that side and then commit something small to the other side to win out. Because uh, once they this get both your... on there, it's, it's, they're going to start pogging off on their effects because there's a lot of the cards in the deck that are, if you have X amount of things, do a bonus effect. And normally mm-hmm. they have to play something then play another thing to get that. With the Ordis Carrier out there, one or two cards in, they're going to start getting a bunch of bonus effects. And this is your advice for playing against Ordis, right? You're saying you're saying you like you like to uh if they if they start getting too wide, you like to try and force them to kind of have to push in on one lane. Yeah, and then kind of like a bait and switch. Like, I'll get them to commit more things on one side while I'm holding something that can beat the one one and the other. And once they're out, then I'm like, oh, well, my last action, now that I have you tied on this side, I'm just going to play this guy and I win on this one. And we're tied on this one. I win on this side. I'm going through and I'm I'm net positive now. Or 
uh, you can always grab your good buddy Axiom and then just beat them at their own game with tokens that are just better than their tokens. <laughs> yes. Big good old brass bugs. Uh, yeah. If you are playing Ortis, uh, I certainly have a few pieces of advice that I think I think are helpful for your first games. So obviously, like we said, getting down Ortis Carrier, that's a that's a great way to just make your opponent really have to feel the pinch. Um, not a bad first turn play at all. The cool thing about Ortis is that you start with something in an expedition zone. So your opponent has to cover both on turn one or you are going to steal an advancement, um, which is not always super easy to do for decks, depending on what their opening hands are like. So that means that it's a little easier for Ortis to spend their first turn playing a permanent that isn't affecting the board and not get too far behind in that race of, of trying to move on the map. Um, and then when they do that now, every single turn getting a recruit on either side, like Jordan said, very difficult to fight. Um, I think the, the card you, the cards, two cards that I really want to look out for when I'm playing this are, uh, Jean of Arc or Jean d'Arc, Jean, Jean d'Arc. Sorry, French. Uh, the French French audience is going to destroy me on this, but I've, I don't speak French. <laughs> but Joan of Arc is what we call her here in the states. Um, getting Joan of Arc out there, uh, especially if you can get the rare version of Joan of Arc. Um, she is a she's really good. She is a strong, strong late game play who will give you a bunch of power one turn that your opponent has to do something about. Um, and when she leaves the expedition zone, she's going to create two, the rare one creates two recruits behind her. The normal, the common one creates one recruit, um, which there are two different results from this. Number one is the opponent goes, well, I can't let that three, three, three be out there. Maybe they're playing Izmir or something. So they'll, they'll return, they'll reserve the, the Joan of Arc. They'll, banish it or something and then it'll create two more one ones to take its place so it's like hardly reduce your power at all um or the better yet your opponent goes well i'm not going to try and deal with that so you can just go ahead and have that side this turn at the end of the turn joan leaves and now the two recruits come in and they stay there so that in the next in the next day you start off with three recruits at least <laughs> in uh in the the expedition zone already which is going to give you so much fuel for the other card that you want to see every game. You want to see charge. You want to see charge so badly because charge is where at, at the, in the late game, you're holding on, like Jordan was saying, you're holding on to this charge. You're holding on to it. Your opponent's committing, committing stuff. And you go, perfect. Your math certainly did not calculate. What if I provide four boost counters on this side because I have four different units there uh, and then two on this side because I have two there. And like suddenly you just blow them out and take both sides of it. Um, better yet, charge can be played, goes to reserve and can be immediately played again. If you have that set up with Joan where you get to start off with a bunch of tokens already, it's not too hard to start off with four, four guys on board, four tokens on board before you've even spent any mana for the turn, giving you plenty of mana to maybe, you know, play a little one, one from your hand and then charge and then charge again. And that's going to steal games. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's very potent. So those are the kind of plays I think you're looking at. Um, as far as matchups, um, I think like Jordan said, Axiom is actually pretty decent. It's not a terrible matchup for Ortis um, because Axiom kind of keeps up with Ortis's nonsense by putting just a lot of stuff into play. Um, 
you really want to beat up on Izmir right now. If you're looking for if you're looking for a feel good match with your, you just want to play play a game and feel good about yourself. Play against Izmir with Ortis because Izmir's problem against Ortis is that all of your stuff is tiny, and Izmir's main way of interact of of like progressing is to interact with your board and remove your things. And your your Izmir opponent has to spend many resources just to get rid of little dinky guys on your side. Um, you and you just let them do that. You just you just play out a huge board and go. What are you going to do about it? Um, all of Izmir's things are weak and small, and it, without without bouncing your stuff, they're just going to struggle to take sides. Um, yeah, so those are, those are I think some of the matchups to be aware of there. And then, like you mentioned before, too, Liar is definitely a very good matchup for Ordis as well, just because they have so many missing traits on a lot of their characters you'll end up winning just because they're like well i don't have a water trait in my hand i guess you win this side on one point <laughs> yeah absolutely if and i mean like with lyra it's always like if if the guy if, if your opponent can roll hot if they can roll hot they can just like boost the heck out of everything and and you know like those boost the boost counters that Lyra plays plays will actually do a good job of counteracting your little dinky one ones, um, but if uh, if they're more average rolling or less, then you usually have that you just have that strong Ortis consistency. You're just going to have a board full of stuff, and you're gonna the house will win, <laughs> you know, more often. Yeah, but on to that, we'll uh, we'll close the book on Ortis, the law book there. Um, And we will continue on with the next one, which happens to be Yzmir. So let's say you just got beat by Ortis. Uh, What kind of tricks of the trade do you have in your book? Besides the, you know, the good one that we, of course, want to open with, the character that we've seen so far, the hero is, uh, has a quite potent ability. Um, At first glance, if you're familiar with other card games, you might be like, why would I want to go second? It has an ability to, it's called After You. Um, if you have the first player token, it's free cost. If you don't, it costs two resources and you'll uh, exhaust your character and you basically just tell your opponent, I'm skipping my turn, but I'm not skipping completely. You get to take the first action and I'll take the second action. So you get to do a lot of reactions, which in this game is very powerful. Um, in addition to that, like we mentioned before, it has some of the better removal that we've seen in the demo decks specifically and some other fun shenanigans that you can definitely do. What are what are your thoughts on the purple menace? Yeah. Akisha and Taru is such a strong hero. The yeah, the the after you ability. Um it's very it does not take long and altered for you to understand the potency of going second in this game, being able to respond to whatever the opponent is doing. Um, Izmir is an interesting deck and I think Izmir, I think actually I, w- I want to clarify that every deck can win every matchup in this, in this demo format. And there's actually an incredible amount of, of strategy and card choice. And, and another thing I like to talk about is, is how in this game you draw six cards and then you put three down at the start of the game as mana, oh. mana orbs, which you do not get back. The and hardest choice in your life. Oh man. Yes, because you will find as you play this game more. There are games where you get to the end of it, you go, if I had only not put that down as a mana orb, yep. then I think I would have had this game. <laughs> That's the um, one thing that every every game I've played and like Kyle mimicked the same thing. It's like the start of the game, both of us are just like, what do I put down? Like, I don't, I don't know. What's the right answer here? <laughs> 
I think I think Izmir because Izmir is so dependent on being able to properly interact with the opponent to be able to progress. Izmir is I would I'm going to I'm just going because this is a podcast, I get to just go ahead and state out opinions like they're facts and um, you just have to listen to me and get mad or or enjoy it or whatever. But um, I I think Izmir is the hardest faction to play correctly um, because you're so dependent on, like I said, so dependent on just ensuring that you are doing this sort of slow incremental progression by answering the appropriate things. You you have to do really really good threat assessment. Like, is this when I should use this removal card? or not. Um, when your deck is composed of more of those effects, you have to just continue to get that decision right constantly. It's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's a little easier when your deck just has, your deck has like one removal thing and otherwise you have a bunch of like huge dudes and you're like, well, okay, I'm just going to use this now and it'll play a huge dude next turn. It'll be fine. But Izmir is like, I have a bunch of tiny things and then I have some removal spells and I have to sequence these removal spells right so that I'm continually answering the right threat each time because I certainly am not going to get there by just playing my 2-1-1 out there next turn and hoping it can take a side. <laughs> um, and so Izmir's rates are pretty interesting. Izmir has 29 games recorded with 16 wins, um, which puts it at a 55.2 win rate. It's about right at the middle of the pack of these six factions based on these stats. It's, it's actually in the lower end of the middle of the pack. It's the uh, third lowest win rate. Um, but I would, I mean, I would really think that, especially if we're talking demo games, we're talking people, not that we're like tactical geniuses or anything, but we're talking, uh, people that are just learning the game and exploring the game are just naturally going to have a more difficult time playing Izmir, whether or not you have a strong TCG background. Um, it's, it's just, it's as any control deck in any TCG goes, it takes time understanding how to make those decisions uh, properly, how to value things, how to threat assess correctly, and how to include, and typically how to include the right cards when you're actually deck building um, to control for the right situations. And in this demo deck environment, you know, we see uh, it has a bunch of answers to things, but in every matchup, are you drawing the right ones? Are you playing the right ones, et cetera? Um, question that comes up. For sure. Um, I think. Though, if you we have like a, like Taylor, who is our, uh, the co-host of the the Grand Archive podcast uh, on Main Deck, is a huge control fan. Loves playing control decks. He immediately latched onto Izmir and started grinding games with it. Has a pretty, I think, a pretty hefty win rate. Has a pretty powerful win win rate with the deck. Um, makes when when other people play against Taylor, I witnessed just during the demo demo day, not that I'm scaring anyone away. We have a, we had a local group of players who are like our good friends who came in, sat down to learn the game. We're playing against Taylor. And I definitely noticed a few of those like, man, I do not like that is mere deck. I don't like, like just <laughs> having a rough time because Taylor was quite effective. I think at, at very quickly latching on to the right threat assessment, threat priority of everything and dealing with, um, Dealing with especially that that really tricky thing of grinding the game out a long ways and eking out slow advantage over time, which is kind of what you have to do uh, with yep. Izmir. Um, so Izmir's power plays uh, are really about just playing your off you go and vanishing gates and your Dorothy's on the right targets. Um, Izmir has the most sabotage. 
I believe, yeah, of I any faction. Say, Tooth Fairy is a very uh, like underrated card too. That's that's very potent for what it is, and it only costs two, and then one from reserve. Obviously, doesn't get the effect from reserve, but something that costs two that allows you to sabotage is very good. Sabotage is probably one of my favorite things in the game, just because people like putting stuff in reserve. There's a lot of potent effects. Um, like when you're fighting Ordis, if you were fighting with the Yzmir, um, sabotaging their their big hits before they get a chance to play them again, very good. Sabotage is critical against a few decks, uh, a few cards and a few decks against Axiom, the Athena that comes back over and over again, and against Bravos, the Huamulan that can come back mm-hmm. over and over again. Being able to sabotage those is the is sometimes the the thing that completely changes the game for you. Um, and again, you know, like sitting down at that Izmir deck, knowing what your opponent might play is going to be a, just a component of playing this deck effectively. Um, knowing, you know what, I need to save one of these sabotage effects because I will lose the long game to a Huamulan that comes back over and over again. Um, so if you're the type of player who likes those decisions, then this is, this is the deck for you. Um, I want to mention too about Tooth Fairy since you brought it up. They have a number of units that just have a low one cost to play from reserve. Um, and that's like really intentional. These are really weak units that you just pay one for to put out there because the intention is that playing Izmir, you should be finding openings or more important, actually more specifically, creating Generating openings on the board. Yeah. yeah, creating an opening on the board. Go like, okay, they're committing here. On that side, in, after you, you know, making sure they take actions first, then you go, okay, they're pretty much committed out. They only have one thing on this side. I'll send that to reserve. And then on my next action, I'll pay one and I'll put by one, one, one out there because you don't get any extra credit for winning a side by 16, right? You all you have to do is one. win by one. Yep. Yeah. Tie them and win by one on one of yours. And yeah, I think it's done beautiful. And I think the reason why they have, like you said, it's by design, they have a lot of one cost in the demo deck is part of the controlling nature. Sometimes I would, I was playing the one cost, not necessarily because I wanted to like, obviously I was trying to also win on that side, but I would play that first because I wanted to see, I wanted to drain them out of actions before I chose my targets for my sabotages or my bounce back or banishes. Because I was like, I want to see exactly what they have, and then I'm going to set the board for myself afterwards. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's the ki- that's the type of mentality you have to have, the type of thinking you have to do with this deck. Um, for some players, that is like all they want out of card. And that's the idea with these factions, right? Is that like, hopefully, if you haven't gotten to play the game yet, you listen to this podcast, one of these factions will resonate with you in that way. You'll hear they go, that... That is how I want to play the game. Um, and I think they did a really good job in, in creating six very like distinct feeling factions in that way, too. Yes, very much so. That's one of the things I love. And both, not just like distinct feeling, but like in the thematics of everything as well. They've done quite beautifully. Yeah. Um, so when playing against Izmir, Jordan, since that seems to be the, that seems to be the, the side you're taking in our discussion here, and playing against <laughs> Izmir... Do you have any advice for people? Um, playing against Izmir as don't take having to get used to going first because you're probably going first every single round and think about that ahead of time. Know that they're looking for your threats. So try if you can to hold back your grand plan until your last move. 
if necessary. Basically, just try to bait out their their removal, their sabotages, their you know their bounce back. Kind of see where they're laying some of their one of some of their characters at before you make your big play. Because uh, once you make your last play, and if they have any actions, um, then you're kind of at the mercy of whatever they want to do. Try to bait them to spend all their stuff before you really commit to that plan. So even if it takes like a turn or two, try to just match them and go neutral so that you don't progress. And then the turn that they go too far and tap everything and you still have an action, then play your big like clutch cards to kind of game the field and win out and gain advantage that way is the best way that I've personally done to combat Yzmir. Yeah, absolutely. And then another thing to be aware of, I think, just to add on to that is that um, you know they have a few a few particular removal cards, but one of them is the spell off you go. It's it's just good to be aware of what your opponent's decks like, what their what specific units they have the most removal against. Because of off you go, characters that have hand cost three or less are less reliable. Um, but importantly, the other thing to be aware of is that that their that removal in particular that and actually I believe Dorothy yeah Dorothy also sends to reserve too. Both those send to reserve. So one thing you can do is you can you can be thinking about this, right? You can go, okay, it's it's turn four. I have six mana orbs. I'm going to start by playing this reserve cost three thing over here. If the opponent decides to answer that, you you can probably just play it right out of reserve again if you need to, preserving some of your cards in hand. The big the big fight for you is like, there the, the control player, the Yzmir player in this case, is trying to run you out of steam. They're trying to get you to the point where you can no longer put enough value onto the board to keep to to be able to compete and they're just going to steal the board. So if you can play that game with them and and instead kind of run them out of steam, run them out of removal and and make sure you're you're you want to you want to eke as much value out of your cards as possible. You never want to have to pitch a card from reserve um because that is a potential play that you've now lost. Um so like I'd say really if if they're going to play a value game, you got to try and outvalue them um, with your cards as much as possible. Yep. And one thing to note too is going into a turn, since most of their removal is the send to reserve, and if you send something with a fleeting back, it gets banished. Uh, so you can also put that into your mind and sometimes use it against them because in a not super ice cold calculating Yzmir player, if you play something with fleeting, even if that's not the thing that's going to do them in, there's that voice in the back of the head that's like, yo, it has fleeting. I can just get rid of it completely because it'll get banished. They can't play it again. And they might jump the gun and off you go it just because it in their head that perceived value of it's getting banished and not being able to be used. It might bait out, you know, they might use it on something that's not a threat and then you play the big threat afterwards. Yeah. Just in general, like if you can ever get them to kind of slip up on their value, get them to spend more resources than you spent on something, that's... That's the way to just to to eke that value out. Um, I think we already talked a lot about some of the the ways to play the deck. You know, play uh, play with value in mind. Play slow. Try and respond to everything, and try and steal sides when you can. So I don't think we have to go over that too much more. Um, yeah. I want to I want to talk about real quick before we move to the next one, just about matchups. Um, so Izmir, I think, is highly effective. Against two factions in particular, I think Lyra and Muna are the ones that struggle the most with Izmir because Izmir, a good 
if effective threat assessment Izmir player is able to uh, basically disable all of the ways that those two decks try to gain advantage on their cards, to gain value on their cards, where Lyra, Lyra's main thing it does with the current hero um, with Akisha is, is it, uh, no, not Akisha, uh, whatever. Akisha's the Izmir one. With um, with the, the Lyra hero, I'll get to it in a sec, um, is Nevenka, I remember, uh, is they will, they're trying to either stack a bunch of boost counters on or an anchor counter on to a strong unit. And Muna similarly is trying to stack boost counters on things or an anchor counter on things yeah. uh, or both. And when you have a bunch of cards that just send a reserve um, or banish things outright, it disables, especially when you're hitting an anchored unit, it disables the value that they were they were playing that card deliberately to get. Um, and so, when you're play, if you're playing those factions against Izmir, you have to be extremely careful. Um, Muna in particular is a little annoying because Muna's hero ability puts a boost counter on the first thing you play that turn. So you don't even you don't get to choose to like use it later. So never go ahead and no, never just drop your huge thing as your first play with Muna because that's your huge thing is going to get a counter and it's going to be the juiciest target in the world for the Izmir player to just off you go it or banishing gate or something. Yep. Um, so yeah, those those two factions just struggle the most. They have to you have to try and play a little wider and try and play a little slower if you want to win those games. Um, but as we said, Ortis, Ortis just puts too much on the board. Izmir has trouble keeping up. Um, Bravos, Bravos is kind of like I found it like kind of hit or miss. Um, you have to play really. I think you just have to play appropriately. But Bravos has a number of like just small kind of big things where it's like yeah, like you have to answer this thing, like the fleeting the the fleeting tracer or something. Like it's it already has fleeting, but in exchange it's a big unit, but it's cheap, and like. Yep. Do you really want to spend a removal spell on this thing? <laughs> like, it's yeah, just going to go like, away. Yeah, it's it's already gone, and it's like, and it and it costs so little that you're, as the Izmir player, it sometimes feels bad because you're like, I'm spending more than they spent on that unit just to get rid of it. Exactly. So, um, but, but then on the other hand, if you know, obviously, if Bravos puts everything into Atlas, then you're like, wow, like this feels Sounds really like good to banish. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so just be careful. But yeah, Izmir, Izmir is always just just be careful. And you've you've heard about her already, but uh, we're gonna bring her to the limelight. It's Navenka and Blotch and Blotch. Yeah. Okay, so Lyra is great. Yes, Lyra, I, I Lyra, it's Lyra, Lyra. Mainly because it's its symbol is a liar. Yeah, it's like a, a liar. Harp, it, makes so like, sense. it must be Lyra. But I, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they're going to correct us in the chat and be like, no, it's Lyra. So I'm, yeah, I'm assuming well, it's Lyra. Leave a comment if we're if we're right or wrong. Um, <laughs> so Lyra, Lyra is the faction of gambling, the faction of chaos, the faction of nonsense. Um, literally about rolling dice um, is, oh, yeah. is one of the main things in the demo deck here. Um, and it is the faction that has the absolute lowest win rate of any of them. Um, it has the third most played games and the win rate, the win number is so low. It, it the number doesn't even show up on this picture. Wait, really? Sure. It's that yeah. bad. Yeah. The win rate is, is abysmal for this. Um, oh man. If I, let me, let me, it's the win rate has to be about 
man, it's got to be like 10% or something. Um, I didn't think it was going to be like, I was expecting it to be a little lower than most, but I didn't think it was going to be like that bad. So that surprised me too. I thought it would be, I agree. I thought it would be lower than the others, but a little higher than that. Um, I've definitely seen games where Lyra pops off. I've played, I've played Lyra and popped off, um, and have done a lot of just a lot of big fun plays, but Lyra just has a few things that I think make it a bit troublesome for people, especially in this demo deck experience. Um, one thing you need to see with Lyra is the Ouroboros, uh, the Lyra Bastion, the permanent that says, if you should roll a die, roll an additional one and ignore one of the results. Um, because if you can stick the Ouroboros, your life gets so much easier after that. Um, there is a really good play. We're going to mention this right now, just so it's just so it's out there. The 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 way you want to play Lyra, I think in general, is you want to put out units on. You want to put out characters turn one. Okay, I think it's really tempting to slam a Roboros turn one, um, and especially if you're going first, I would not do that because you don't. A, a number of a number of factions have removal spells that they can play on it right away and and annoy you. Um, I think, and I, but I think the big thing is you you don't want to give up tempo. Um, you want to on that first turn. The first turn is is the easiest turn to snipe one of the two sides. Um, there's just the least the opponent can do to compete over both sides. You, the, nobody's ramped up to having any power plays really. So you really want to on that first turn. You want to play like an Ouroboros trickster out there somewhere, who's a, a two cost one cost from reserve. Uh, that like you roll a die if it's four or more, she gets two boosts. Um, which is you know like. Uh, Otherwise, she gets one boost. So she's either a 1-1-1 one, one, one or a 2-2-2. Two, two, two. Um, either way, it's usually, that's enough to at least compete on one side, if not take a side. Um, and I say you do this because then what you want to do on turn two, I believe, in my what's worked for me is then you you want to play your Obros turn two with that one mana available to then play your Trickster from memory with a really good shot of getting two boosts on it, then activate your Navenka for a really good shot of getting boost, a boost on it or anchoring it. Um, or even another great thing is uh, whatever you played first turn could just roll the anchor with your character ability and then yeah and then yeah, you can uh, boost it next turn yeah yeah it's it, like just just not if you if you take a turn where you don't have an opportunity to use Navenka that's like even if even though Navenka is a gamble you're giving up a use of that character you're giving up a that sort of like overtime advantage that that character should be gaining you. Um, so it's, I, I would say, try to never give up a turn by playing Ouroboros, even though Ouroboros is great. Um, try and keep it so that you can play something after it to keep competing because you're going to lose. And like when you lose games of Altered, it's not usually a blowout. In my experience, it's, it's almost been really close. Yeah. It's almost never a blowout. It's like that game was close. Um, and that means if you ever go, I think I'll just let them take both sides turn one. You'll that's, regret it later. That'll yeah, be that the, is, the nail in the coffin. Yep, that's the regret play, because you get to the end, you'll be one away or something, and they'll take it. So, yeah, um, Similar to, uh, in the same vein as something like Izmir, um, where you're, you know, a lot of your interaction is the other player doing stuff and you cast on their board. Um, another reason why you, going to what you said, you want to play stuff out first is because a lot of your effects and your potent powers are requiring your people to be on board to interact with instead of interacting with the opponent you're doing a lot of interaction on your side of the board with your character ability and a couple of your spells 
um, and deciding what to do based on if you get that anchor or not. Because there's a lot of times like the all-in card, for example, uh, unless it's going to win you the game, it's a trap to play that early. Always save that until you see if you can anchor something. If you can anchor something and if you have Ouroboros in the field, then you all in, and then you just try to hope you keep anchoring it over and over and over again and hope they don't banish it, of course. But. Yeah, I think that's super, super good advice. It's really tempting to go, if I all in right now on this random guy, I can take this side this turn. But your goal is to eventually anchor something, and that's where all in becomes like, you become superpower Muna, because you're going to be able to put, realistically, not... Very often you're going to put at least like at least four boost counters on something with all in if you have a Roboros in play, um, and that is that on an anchored unit is I mean that's that's where Huge. your opponent sees like the the Kodox Kodox review if if uh, people watch the the popular YouTube channel Kodox shout out to him I love his his you know, love that he went out and did some coverage of Alter Two super cool um, he he was talking about how broken the Lyra deck felt and. It does feel broken when everything lines up. It's like no one's got numbers like these. Like <laughs> they're crazy, um, which is, I think, a testament to the design of the deck. It's a, it's like that. That's exactly the idea. It should feel that way when you're winning, and it should feel very rough <laughs> when you're losing. And if you want to go take it a step further too, when you're about to do that all in play, try to do it. I mean, obviously your choices are going to change depending on the layout of the board, but try to set it up in a way where it's not your Hatter or your, what's the, what's the demons guy's name? Uh, Asmodeus. Uh, Asmodeus. Yeah. Try to set it up where they're not the targets, mainly because a, they're kind of beefy in their own respect, but B, if you have a Hatter in reserve or have a way to get it in reserve, that gives you more anchor for prolonged turns to keep that, huge unit around longer and the hatter's effect only works on three cost or less so yep. you'll want to keep a lookout as that for like a third piece of the puzzle that'll really if you can get those three that's most likely if they don't have a hard banish like three wins on whatever side you put that in like back to back to back because fighting something that's you know four or more or five or six or seven if they have beefy stats and certain things already on one character that just sits there every turn that you could play more on but you don't have to is big value yeah absolutely and i have just one last thing to keep in mind if you're playing lyra because we have to give as much advice as we can to help pump these numbers up for lyra people got to get a little more successful with their lyra play um i think lyra uh is also like i think lyra is both that like fun like throw caution to the wind and roll some dice deck if you want it to be but i think that's where that's why it's win rate is where it is i think lyra actually requires a lot of a lot of thinking um because you have these stats that are weird you have these zeros and these and these high numbers and you you have to actually i think more so than some of the other factions really look at where you're traveling to and plan out your plays accordingly um it's all good to spend your Lyra Chronicler turn one 404 on the stats. If you play a 404 turn one somewhere, you're taking that. Like, I don't, I don't care what the opponent does. You're taking that side. Um, that's all good. But if then you find out on a later turn, you're getting stuck on a mono forest or a mono water map space. You go, boy, I really wish I had a, a, an efficiently costed thing with four power in, in the stat. Um, 
you want to be thinking about like the future a little bit, trying to, again, you don't win anything for going way over your opponent. You just want to be one above. Like they, they, this is, this is maybe just a general piece of advice, I think for altered, but your most efficient game, your best game where you use your resources most efficiently of altered are going to be the, is going to be the one where you won every single turn where you played to by exactly one. Because there you spent the minimum amount of resources for the maximum gain, which is winning it by, you know, winning it at all. Um, you've spent the, you've, you've played things the most efficiently. So try and keep that in mind. Keep that efficient play mentality in mind, even if you're rolling dice, even if you're gambling and having fun. Um, because I think that'll help you score. It'll help you have the right units in your hand at the right time more often. For sure. Um, how about how do we, Jordan? How do we beat Lyra? We're we're faced with the pink menace across the across the table. What do we do about it? Well, we've uh, covered one of the better factions already, Ortis, like we said, and I think the other one is probably Axiom for a similar reason, where they're able to just put tokens on the board that have stat lines and everything that kind of poke holes in the strong but weak in a lot of aspects of the other cards that Lyra has. Having zeros and a handful of stats on your cards makes you highly susceptible to just those random tokens that are like, you just have to do one, but you probably can't because you have zero on that card. And they, you know, they're just always there and you have to deal with them constantly. Makes it a little more difficult for you to do it or you have to get lucky with your rolls to get the boosts right to line up to block them. And I think actually on that note too, both Ortis and Axiom have cards in their main deck that that deal with permanence. So um, and particularly banish them. Um, mm-hmm. At least Ortis Ortis banishes. I believe Axiom just sends to reserve. Um, no, let me check that. Actually, I'm not sure that's right. Axioms Keylon Surge banishes too. Yes, okay, banishes too. That's what I thought. I thought it didn't send to reserve. So, uh, so they are the ones who are able to if you drop that Ouroboros. They're able to just ace it and make you rely a lot more on getting lucky uh, with your die rolls to get anywhere, um, which is tough. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with those. I also think Izmir Izmir's kind of tough too because as soon as you if you know as soon as you all in something, they're just going to answer it. As soon as you anchor something, they're just going to answer it. Um, so I really I'm not a I, I think those are the tougher matchups to play. I think against I think against Muna and Bravos though, uh, there's not a ton that they can do. Muna and Bravos are trying to go bigger, and if Izmir lines everything up, Izmir is untouchable in its in how how tall their units can get. And you have the power of choice against them. Most of their boosts are affect you know a specific target or like the first target, so they have less flexibility. Yours is on an ability, so you can. To have it be your last action before your pass, just be like, oh, well, I'm going to use this boost and this boost. And then now these guys are winning and your your one lane is tied um, because you have choice, more more flexibility with where you put your boosts and when you put them out versus Muna and Bravos. And I do want to say that I feel like in these stats too, the, the important thing to keep in mind, the context thing in mind is that like these aren't, these decks weren't being played in a vacuum. The Lyra deck had to be played against other decks. And the most popular decks that were played were Axiom and Izmir. Um, and then Ortis was the least popular, but still it, it means that some non, 
you know, some not insignificant number of those games were probably against Axiom and Izmir decks that were just going like answer your thing. Like, there you go. And that um, combined with it being complicated is probably why it has such a low win rate in the demo pool. Yeah. Um, I also think part of it is just like, if you're the type of person who just likes random chaos, um, you absolutely might be a strategically minded person, but there's going to be a bunch of those people who are just like, nah, just roll dice and and not thinking too hard about it either. So, um, okay. Not to make us take too much time. Uh, let's go ahead and move on. What's the next faction, Jordan? The next one will be Bravos, And this one will probably be a little quicker than the others not because they're bad or anything, but they are one of the more kind of like Ortis. They're, they're fairly straightforward in what they're trying to do to you. Yeah. So we they, have Kojo they, and Buddha. Kojo and Buddha. They get the ability of at dawn, they get to put a Buddha 222 cat token uh, into the companion expedition. So uh, Only interesting. When you have the first player token, though. So it's when every you have other the, turn. Yes. Yes. I, in my head, I said that. In my mouth, I didn't. <laughs> um, Every every other turn you get that. So an, inter- an interesting twist on like Ortis always getting a 1-1-1 in the hero every turn. Bravos gets a 2-2-2 two, two, two in the companion every other turn. Um, and and they kind of flow like from that, like, they, you know, this idea of just putting out a bigger thing than everyone else. That's what Bravos is about. Going big, putting out something big. They play things that get a bunch of boosts. They play things that give boosts to others. Uh, actually... They play Looking vanilla the things with just big numbers that cost a little bit with fleeting. They're kind of, in addition to their color, they're similar to like a lot of like quick red decks in some ways where they just put out bombastic stuff that has fleeting that cost a little bit amount just so you can get that point. Like, I'm going to get the point this turn in this lane by putting this huge thing out that cost me a nickel, but it's gone after this and you don't have to yep. deal with it again. Or they, like you said, I think, they just boost up to high heaven and then you're like, well, I have this huge thing for this one turn. Deal with it. The majority of the effects in this faction just say put boost counters on them yep. on, or on stuff. So if you if your gameplay style that you like is making things big, then Bravos is uh, one of the two ones that I think you should look at. Um, being, and one of the being, big cards I want to highlight as well is atlas this is the card we talked about earlier it's the only card that we have in the demo pool that has the keyword gigantic where it counts as being in both lanes at the same time uh so it uh it's very potent especially if you throw boosts on it then it's a big dude in both lanes they have a powerful little common spell called physical training that's target character gains three boosts um obviously a nice boost on one side but then when you have an atlas in play and you can physical training it uh, it can be an excessive amount of power on both sides of the expedition. The big thing to keep aware of is that with, you know, we mentioned this earlier, but with Bravos, when you're putting all your eggs in one basket, you're super, super maxing out the power of one thing, you're really weak to removal. Um, so that's the big, the big problem with Atlas. But if you could ever get to that situation where you are fairly confident, you are safe, you can go ahead and go crazy you have the potential of playing physical training twice in a turn because it does not have fleeting. So the spell will go to your reserve and then you can play it again to give up to six boost to something, which is a nice little imitation of all in without having to roll dice. True. This, uh, um, things like, uh, Atlas is make me excited for the full pool. Cause there's non-zero chance that there'll be things like the Hatter in Bravos colors, which will give you the ability to anchor your Atlas. Yeah. Not in the game currently, as far as we know, but, 
it it opens up the doors in my mind that are like, oh, this could be sick. Again, I want still anchor susceptible, Atlas. still susceptible to potential removal, but sometimes you just got to make them have it. Jordan, I I don't want to just anchor Atlas. I want to anchor Unique Atlas. That's what I oh, want to do. I want to do that and go. Think, yeah, unique let's Atlas. Go. <laughs> what if there's a unique Atlas that just has this comes into play anchored? Oh, baby. That's a good card. Um, just talking really quick about some of the rares in here because we mentioned her earlier, but there's a rare version of Hua Mulan. Hua Mulan normally will enter from reserve and gain boost. So she's stronger when she's 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 stronger when she comes out from reserve than when she comes out from hand. Um the Rare version of Huamalan says she gains two boosts when played from reserve and she loses fleeting. And this is where we mentioned it's like sabotaging, saving a sabotage for Bravos. Not a bad plan because you can get rid of that Huamulan so that she can't keep coming back every single turn, which is what she would do normally. And um, she'll be a four six four when she's coming back over and over yeah, again. Yeah, for for a, a four cost, four cost probably, out of reserve. Probably winning the lane you put her in, no matter what. Maybe even on her own. In the in the late game, you get some pretty high numbers. Like at the very the last turn of the game in altered is often you're hitting like 10, 11, you know, like pretty solid numbers in places. But that's usually because half of that is Huamulan. <laughs> so <laughs> um the other card, the other rare I just want to mention because I really like this design. We talked about it a little bit earlier too, is Bravos Tracer. Um, Bravos Tracer is already just a strong common with a cheap cost of two that ends up putting a three 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 on board. But the rare one feels particularly obnoxious, especially you get to the point of the game where I don't care that this is fleeting because if I win, again, if I win this lane this turn, then I win the game. And going, I'm going to pay two to add four in two different stats because the rare one's a 4-3-4 four, four for two with fleeting. That feel that's like, oh man, like how, like. When I when I've drawn that, I've drawn that playing Bravos. I drew it like going into the last turn. I was like, this was the best possible draw right now because this I wasn't going to have an extra play, but suddenly my extra play is more stats than anything else could have given me. Um, yeah. And that's I yeah, love the sick. tracer. The trace is great, very very cool. Um, and then so small, small note go ahead. too before we kind of go into some of the other details of it. It does have a uh, one removal, three copies of it, but a removal spell as well. Um, it's not as flexible as some of the others, but it uh, it's still pretty all right called Intimidation, uh, where you do a target or permanent with hand cost four or less and return it to their hand. Character so, or permanent, yeah. Yeah. It's, We're going to say it's done forever, but it'll delay them. And like we said before, this deck is just trying to blast stuff and win. Every, every turn, you're hoping to get that double win or at least one win, and this will do it. They play something that's expensive, and you're just like, yeah, put it back in your hand. This turn, I'm winning this lane. I think it's kind of a... Actually, I think it's a cute design space to have the Bravos have the bounce-to-hand type removal when the other ones don't, because Bravos with Kojo and Buddha having this, like, every other turn, I'm that. really strong. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, Kojo, Kojo and Buddha sort of they sort of peel back that drawback a little bit. They they make it a little less of a drawback because yeah, you'll bounce it to hand. Yeah, they can play it again, but next turn you have Buddha down. And next turn, if they play it again, you they you have more for them to deal with. So it's like not quite as it's not just like, well, next turn you can crush me with this instead. It's like next turn you can play it again, but is it even good anymore? Um, I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, so if you're playing against Bravos really quick, we've talked a little bit of, I mean, if you're playing Bravos, just play big things, get big, <laughs> uh, play around the opponent's removal. If you're playing against Bravos, 
Um, I think we've actually talked about that plenty too, which is answer their big things. Um, yep. Be kind aware of, of the cheap, the, the cheap tracers. Um, save a sabotage for Mulan. I don't know. Do you have any other things to add? I think most of the, the most of the, like Achilles heels of the deck we covered in the, the factions we already covered. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's one thing going on in this podcast. Like we've already talked about the back and forth. Yeah. As we <laughs> progress to the list of things to talk about post uh, card specific stuff is getting shorter. Yep. Yep. Um, so in I general, I'll say ahead. it here. It has nothing to do with the demos, but I'm, I'm assuming there'll be interactions with boost counters in the full game. Uh, so something, whatever faction ends up having a large amount of boost counter interaction will probably uh, be something you'll want to watch out for. But again, that's not in the. Oh, sure. Like so you're saying like cards that are like remove all boost counters from, yeah. you know, a unit or something, a character or something. Um, yeah. Or steel boost counters or something. Oh, yeah. That, could that be cool. would be a. That'd be that'd be pretty nasty if you're like, yeah, I'm going to boost this. My guy gets boosts. And then like, no, my guy gets boosts. Um, again, to reiterate, Bravos... Those are not in the demo decks yet. That's just <laughs> a that's just a potential thought I have in my head for design space. Yes. Um, Bravos in general feels like against, um, you know, again, against removal heavy decks. It's a little it's a little it's a little weaker. I don't know. I feel like of all the decks, Bravos is kind of just like the the. Nothing's particularly good or bad in its matchups because it can it feels somewhat flexible. It plays cheap, powerful things. It has a little interaction. It um it also can go really tall if it needs to. Um it's I don't think we've really named it as like a super strong deck against anything else, did we? I don't think so. It's just kind of so, like the like the Ryu, I guess, if you had to do yeah. like a fighting game. It's like the Ryu of this game. It doesn't it's not like bombastically good against anything it's not also terrible against anything it's just kind of like that nice middle ground where it's just it's just kind of in the middle it's good yep. and bad against certain things but it's not drastically the bar doesn't swing high or swing low it yeah. just kind of swings a little above or a little below the curve yeah i can get with that All right. what's the next faction the next one is probably my favorite thematically and art like mom and play actually i think it might just be my favorite faction until the full set comes out we're going to axiom baby Woo! let's go let's go indeed you're gonna be putting out a lot of cool bots and brass bugs yes axiom the engineer faction Your goal is to make a little a little rube goldberg machine and activate everything and and gain a lot of kind of just value over time um and it and it's and it's effective. It works. I don't think I mentioned the stats for Bravos last time. I guess I should just real real quick step back and say that twenty three games, a fifty two point two win percent. Bravos like just exactly telling us exactly like what we said about the deck. It's <laughs> right like yep, <laughs> it's it's good half the time. It's it's bad half the time. It's never like excessively bad in either direction. Um, All right. What about Axiom? Axiom? Axiom has the most played games. I guess a lot of people were fascinated with the idea of putting out a bunch of machines and seeing what they do. And it has just under Ordis by 0.2% in the in the win rate or the 68.8% win rate in the in these demo deck games recorded so far. Um which feels this feels right to me with my experience. I've I've Axiom has done very consistently pretty well. I feel like um, in our demo games, it 
like Ortis, like you were saying, it has that ability to kind of be wide, be where it needs to be. Um, it has the, the, I feel like the hero is quite powerful. Sierra and oddball, oh, I think yeah. is a They're powerful hero. Um, the ability to, when you play a permanent, you can exhaust Sierra and oddball to create a brass bug token. It means that you're going to play what is normally a, for a drawback for every other faction. You play a permanent, it doesn't do anything that turn. It now turns into, you know, in fact, we went into detail in, in Lyra about how you, you should definitely try to play something, play a character, the turn you play a permanent. And Axiom's hero says, I always do. It's fine. Get a free character. <laughs> and it's a 2-2-2. Two, two, two. And you get to choose which lane it's in, which is also yeah. very good. And I think like the thing that's the the thing that surprised me in in what a powerful card it is is Keylon Cylinder, a one cost common permanent that has two abilities: exhaust. I gain two Keylon counters, and exhaust remove a Keylon counter from me. Target character gains one boost. This card, when in the in this deck, is so strong because it's a one cost two two two. Because it creates a brass bug when you play it from your hero. If it's the like you make it the one permanent you play that turn, it creates a brass bug. And then every turn after that, that turn you're gonna you're gonna exhaust to gain two keyline counters. And every turn after that, you're either going to, if you have nothing to do with it, exhaust to gain more keyline counters, or you're going to put a free boost counter on something, which is going to which is something you can do right before you pass because it's a free action. Um, so you're able to wait out the whole thing and you go, okay, I'm out of actions and I'm losing by one here. I'll put a boost. Yeah, it's so flexible. And I think part of the reason this one probably has a high win rate is similar to Ortis. This deck also just has a little bit of everything um, that helps it have an out to anything that it's coming up against most of the time. Like you have at least a saving grace that there's something. Because so you have like the boost counters that you get the option. Last action, you know, I, I'm going to shift the gears just slightly in this thing. It has the ability to go wide if you play a bunch of Brass Bug Hives. For those who don't know what that is, it's a, another permanent that at dawn, you just generate a Brass Bug in whichever thing you want. And um, when you play it as well. And when you play it, yes, which is very important. So when you play it, it technically spawns too if your character hasn't already been used. Um, it has that. It has removal that's fairly flexible with uh, one second's loading. I forgot the name of it because I never actually got to play myself. Elon, Elon Surge. Surge. Yep. Yeah, it has a very good removal card. Um, it has fairly decent creatures that run the gamut of weak and cheap and expensive and powerful. So they just kind of have, uh, like I said, a little bit of everything to help them deal with whatever the opponent's trying to do to you. It lets you pivot to different you know, things as the game progresses. I think really, like, I would hang my hat on this hero ability for the reason that Ortis is, or, or, or not Ortis, Axiom is really doing so well. Um, oh, because yeah, it's, the hero ability it's is such a crucial part of it. The the ability to do what no other deck can do, which is progress something, put on something onto the board that's going to give you advantage throughout the game. Fairly difficult to interact with. You need specifically permanent removal. You know, permanence, the advantage of permanence is that they stay out the whole time. Unlike characters in altered, characters go away, but permanence stay there. So you get to generate long-term advantage and the hero allows you to not give up that tempo right away. Um, it means that if you're going to beat Axiom, you have to try and go a little bit faster because Axiom has a natural long game advantage there because mm -hmm. every turn they're just like, it's more and more free value they've accumulated. Um, so, you know, to that end, I actually like Bravos into Axiom a little bit. I like this just like, well, I, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to win both this turn and, and 
I only have to win both a couple of times to to beat you out before you can beat me. Yeah, and um, they'll be like, Axiom will be like, I'll play my permanent, get my brass bug, and you'll be like, cool, I'm going to spend two and beat that brass bug in its own game with a tracer. And you're like, yep. oh, okay, I guess uh, I, I'm out. <laughs> The uh, the also the advantage of like or I should I should say the disadvantage of your tokens being so good is that when they get intimidated from a Bravos, which is bounced to hand, they don't then go back to hand. they don't They're go gone. to hand right they just they just disappear. So in Ordus is like go ahead intimidate my one one like whatever it's no skin off my back but um, or no skin off my nose I think I would say the wrong one I think I think <laughs> I did that in the last podcast too, um, uh, but. When you bounce the brass bug, it's like it's a little more of an acceptable play removing a two 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 with that uh, with that play, and it gives them no advantage back for doing that. And as the axiom player, it just feels bad when they do that too, because like it's you can tell it's a decent play when the the player you did it to is like no, that ruined everything. Because there's so many turns with axiom where like have I had I had one less brass bug or like one less thing to do, I would not have been able to count to the numbers I needed either. Like they're they're crucial to the game plan. So removing them is definitely, like you said, a very real option that opens up. Yep. You have to, with Axiom, you do have to, um, you do have to manipulate, manage your permanence a little bit more because again, you have a two permanent limit. So you're going to be trying to play a permanent every turn if possible. And you're, so it means after a few turns, you're going to have too many permanents in play. Um, Usually not too hard to decide which ones are keepers. Like even one of the permanents here, the uh, the armor jammer is literally it only has an on play effect. The whole purpose of it is to sabotage. Jammer. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it sabotages something and makes a two two two. So yeah. it's yeah, it's great. And like you said, it's literally the fodder because uh, for those who are unaware, if you do play more than the two limit, it's it's a limit, but it's one of those limits where you discard down to it at a certain point yep. in the game. I believe it's... same with your reserve. Yep. So you'll discard down which means you can still play more than that on the turn. And then when it's time to make the choice, you just get rid of the, you know, all but the two most important ones. Yep. Um, and it, it means that, you know, you won't be able to build a like a giant machine. Like it's, it's my turn. I make six brass bugs and I draw three cards and, you know, but it means that you can pivot your machine as your as the game goes on, as you need to, you're like, you know what? This Keelon cylinder isn't doing it anymore. It would be a lot better to have a brass bug hive. Um, so you can totally do that. And yep, just to that's, like that's the general progression too, if I had to give advice is you'll start yeah. with a cheap Keelon cylinder to get your brass bugs going when you can, uh, you know, obviously armor jammers, you play whenever necessary, and then you'll play the axiom preprocessor. You'll keep that around. And then once your Keelon cylinder is empty, um, you can then play your first brass bug hive. And then once you have enough cards from the resupply, and you don't really need any more. You trade the Axiom reprocessor for a brass bug hive. As far I, as I the, like that too. I, I like that idea of like, especially you know, I think the the astute point was like trying to use every bit of everything. So like you can you can try and plan things out so you can use up your Keylon cylinder, get to the point where you'd have to spend a turn exhausting it again just to get counters and go. Okay, well you know what, that's not going to be as useful now as having a brass bug hive. So I'm going to go ahead and try and play that right now instead. Um, yeah, that's really good. And yeah, just to play into this, too. oh yeah, go ahead. Oh no, uh, I I just wanted to say just to play into this long term strategy that you know we're we're talking about how it's so good going late into the game. They also have a similar character to Hua Mulan in Athena or Athena. Sorry, Athena. I don't know. Why I said it that way in Athena, um, who is a uh, five cost four 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 with when played from hand. If you can, if you can, the, sorry, the rare version is if played from hand, 
if you control at least two permanents, she gains two boosts. And then the all versions of Athena have, if played from reserve, if you control at least two permanents, she loses fleeting, which is that, again, Hua Mulan thing of like, and, but the thing about her compared to Hua Mulan is she only costs three to play yeah, from, from reserve. reserve. She's real cheap. It's so good. She's, she's like kind of obnoxious to deal with in the late game because three costs four, four, four every single turn. And you're, 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 it's easier to find her with that Axiom reprocessor too that allows you to resupply at dawn every turn, get a card yep. in your reserve. There's a lot of worlds where you don't even have to pay the first big cost and you can start throwing that down and like turn turn three, start blasting her on a turn four. Or sorry, turn three or two. Yep. Yeah, you'll have four at the beginning of two. So um, in general, I think we talked a bit about how to we talked a lot about how to play it, how to beat it. We mentioned go fast. Um, you want to end the game before they get too much advantage End the game before they find Athena's um, End the game before just, you know, save your they've... permanent banishes. Uh, there's a couple of factions we've already yes. mentioned that have good uh, banish permanents. This is the faction you want to be watching out. This is one where you don't just banish the permanents on demand. This is when you wait, you'll be like, I'm waiting until that brass bug hive comes out and then I'm going to banish it. Or when they play their reprocessor early in the game, you banish it. Yeah. Um, Cause sure. They'll probably replace it at some point, but it'll give you the little extra turn before they get their big machines up and running and really starting to like roll over you. Yeah. And this deck does have three Athenas. So if you have sabotage in your deck, so if you're anybody, but Muna, you should, if you see a sabotage, you like sabotage is for Athena. Like, just get that into your head, I think, because that's <laughs> Athena's going to steal the game from you if you don't deal with her. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Um, okay. And then just quick, like, faction, we just to mention again, factions that you're good against um, or or bad against. Uh, we said, against we said Lyra. Lyra, yep. We, we said Lyra dealing with their zeros by having two twos. Um, I think, I think. Izmir's not Ortis. bad. I think Izmir's not a bad matchup because Izmir's also trying to go late. But yeah, I'd say it's a very fair matchup because they have enough answers to what you're doing to hold you back enough to get their bigger stuff out too. And then, like you said, in the later game, they have some mean things where they're just going to like walk back your advantage that you got early game. And, and they have a lot of sabotage to get rid of your Athenas. So if the Izmir, if the Izmir clear player knows what they're doing, it's probably actually a, a bit tricky. Um, because you're both just trying to go late. Um, yep. It's a very fair matchup. Yeah, they'll do good against uh, Muna probably. Because um, Muna is pretty straightforward. We'll, we'll get into it. But uh, they do a lot of anchored and boost. But you have a fairly good mm. removal card that'll just bounce their boosted thing but back. But only, in my experience, you only have Keylon Surge in this demo deck. And yeah. Muna, the Muna player... Though, which the lets Muna you get player rid of their... I was going to say, unless yeah. you get rid of their, because they have the, I forgot what they're called, the druids that have yeah. the anchor, and that's one of their big sources of anchor. So being able to just get rid of it the second it's there with the jammer lessens their ability to really like build a board as as often anyway. In my opinion, actually, I think that matchup's, that matchup's fairly even. And I played that matchup actually a number of times too. We literally, actually, I just played two games of it last night <laughs> um, or two nights ago. Okay. Uh so I, I and I, I think that just because I don't think you're wrong, I think that's all like fair interaction. But I think the key is it doesn't have excessive interaction to the point where the Muna player is able to sort of um, move things around. The big the big thing is that Keylon Surge only hits 
uh, hand costs four or less. And so the Muna player needs to do exactly one thing to win that matchup, and it's to put it all on the Cone, cone man. man. Yep. If if the Muna player can find Cone Man and get him out, the the Axiom player has to has to like overwhelm with Athena, or they're out of options. And to their credit, Muna has no sabotage, so it's tough to deal with Athena. But like, I think it's a, so. I think for that reason, it's like a fairly like even even feeling matchup. Um, whereas I feel like. Axiom should have a little more trouble against fast, fast Bravos. Oh, yeah. um, I think hundred percent Bravos is great against uh, growing into. Yeah, it. they'll they'll feel really good about that matchup. So I'm going to walk back and say we said Bravos maybe didn't have any great matchups, but I think this is the one where where I mean I think still I still think this Axiom deck's really good, and it's not it's not like an easy match, but I think Bravos has the advantage compared to all other factions against Axiom. Yeah, for sure. All right, well let's get to our and last one. Let's talk last about Muna. but not least. We got Muna. So far, from what I've heard from Dan, this is one of his uh, the ones he didn't think too much of, and then he's a uh, he's Muna pilled. I'm Muna pilled. <laughs> Let's go, Muna. Yeah, we got uh, yeah. Tasia and Nara. If I pronounce yeah. that correctly, sure, probably. <laughs> uh, and of course, as we mentioned before, their ability is the first character you play, no matter which side it is, comes in with a boost counter, which is yeah, very good. The thing I like about Muna, the thing that's fun about Muna is that Muna is Muna is a very thoughtful faction. And when you when you play it, when you play out everything, you string out everything, you sequence everything correctly, you are you're left with a payoff that feels very, very satisfying. You you're like, okay, I, I did everything correctly. I played around the removal. Now I have a four six six daughter in play because I got a boost counter on it, and it's anchored. And that means I'm winning this turn and next turn in that in that zone almost guaranteed. Um, it's got some fun and, and interesting little plays. It gets to play things like spindle harvesters that that are like tiny little dorks that just have one in forest and zero in the other stats for one mana, but they become anchored, They're and you anchored. get to enjoy. You get to have multiple things that get to become anchored, so they'll they'll be out for one turn. They'll anchor for a turn. They'll go to reserve. Then you'll play them for reserve. They'll anchor for a turn and they'll go to reserve. And you can also chain anchors on things to ensure that they just don't go away. It's all stuff that I think is very fun. Um, very good, like growth druid theme um, that I think they did a really good job kind of bringing out there. Um, mm-hmm. Some strong units like Daughter of Yggdrasil, like I mentioned already, three cost, three, five, five. So stats are crazy for the cost. Uh, but has a drawback of when you play from hand, each opponent gets to draw a card. It does have a rare version of that that says each player draws a card, which feels a lot better to play. A lot better to play. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a pretty sick little it's a pretty sick little deck. Pretty fun. I think the the most fun thing that I like to do is like you get a couple anchored things and you get to fu- you get to drop a nurture on, which puts boost counters on them, and you just stack these things up. You're so weak to big removal. Like if, if your opponent can outplay you on removal and you, you know, you, like I said earlier, we said right away, if, if you, you just dunk out your big thing right away, you're like huge thing gets a boost counter. Your opponent goes, it's gone. And you go, it goes banish. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, that was my whole game plan. You just don't do that. Is my advice. Like, don't, don't walk into that. Um, Muna does have a fair amount of cheap things that you can play. Inari's just three one threes for cheap. Sneezer shrooms, Mowgli's, Spindles, Kitsune's. You should just be like, what you need to do, and this is again just kind of like general advice, but you need to be thinking, you go into the matchup and think, is this the matchup where I need to play a lot of small things or the matchup where I need to play a lot of big things? 
um, and make that decision accordingly. Ortis, it's nice to play smaller things to fight on both sides. Izmir, it's nice to play smaller things to not walk into their Maybe removal. And bounce. Bravos, it's nice to play big things because your big things stay out longer than their big things. Um, Axiom, it's nice to play big things because your cone man can't be hit by Keylon Surge and that they can't do anything else to you. They, the brass bugs can't brass hurt you bugs. with yeah. a with a cone man out there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like so, you just like you want to just think about that a little bit, play thoughtfully, um, be be mindful, be be the druid in the forest, be thinking about everything. But uh, it's 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 the faction I played the most, so I'm easy. I'm, I'm able to wax the most about it because I I've enjoyed playing it a lot. Um, yeah, very fun faction. One of their one of their only downsides in the demo deck specifically too is. They have little to no removal at all. Absolutely none. They have Absolutely no removal none, yeah. and no sabotage. No. Yep. And that's actually, that's what got me the most excited about the deck. I looked through and I'm like, I, li- I literally like just say, okay. In fact, I don't even just say, okay, that's fine. You can do that. I say, here, have some more cards. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. I And what, what fascinated me about that was just like the, the almost hubris of it all. This, this idea of like, they can play whatever they want. We're going to be bigger. We're going to be better. We're going to be out longer. And when I like got into that, I thought, okay, you know what? There's something actually really creative about this, about playing this deck where you are, you're not going to do anything except try and make your things bigger than theirs. And so that's a whole different thought process uh, of playing the game of just like, again, you're going to lose if you do it wrong, right? If you, if you put all your eggs in the wrong basket, um, but it's that that like that's kind of an adrenaline hit. That's kind of exciting to me. It's like it's like I have to do this right, but when I do this right, the payoff is immense. For sure. So it's definitely very fan. thematic too, because it's all about taking root and growing tall. Yeah. Yep. Everything has a right to live. So we're not gonna go ahead. We're not gonna be messing with everything. You have a right to be in the forest just like me, but you have to respect the trees. <laughs> so yeah, big big fan of Muna. Muna win rate, uh, twenty three games played with a sixty point nine percent win rate, which is a which is the third third highest. Yeah, it's a it's very respectable win rate. Um, interestingly, in our local area, one of the other uh, one of the other people, one of the Facebook mods, uh, Kari Furnace, she was uh, she was playing with us, and she was super excited about the game too. Really, really pumped to have other people in our local area who were just like pumped about the game. Um, and she was she came into our demo day and said, "I cannot win with this deck." I've like we've we've played this deck against every other deck and we can't it can never win a game. And and I thought, you know, like that's really that like not not like you know, you're bad or something, but like it's interesting because I just think there's all there's it's a card game. So there's variance, there's randomness, there's all sorts of things go into it. And also I think it's just there's an approach that has to be sort of figured out. Uh, not just for for Muna, but for every deck. We've talked about it with pretty much every deck here. Here are the things you need to think about, prioritize here, or where you can play the game differently. Um, and and I do think if you sit down with any of these decks, even Lyra, even you know, even the decks that aren't performing as well, if you can sit down and think about n- never <laughs> general TCG advice, never sit down with a deck and go like, why is this like why is this deck bad? Think, what can I do differently to win games instead because 
it you know it just indicates to me if you can't win if if a game if the deck isn't winning against anything there's got to be something that's just not clicking quite right and then i'm sure it's that was a few weeks ago so i'm i'm hoping at this point she's played some muna games and then something happened and she's like i figured it out like i see where i was going wrong or i see where um or I maybe I see where my opponent just drew really well. She had really close games. She said, like like we said with Alters, like every game's close, right? But it's like it's about eking out that extra advantage, finding where you can finding where you can get that win from a even when you feel like the deck's not quite panning out, there's probably something you can do differently. And it's it and I think it's really useful to have that mentality and think about it that way. For sure, for sure. That's a great great way to think about it and uh like you said sometimes when i'm having a trouble too i'll just try to like you said think about the design and the the flows of maybe what the designer was like planning out and then like you said something just clicks um it's great and like i said some of the people i played with too uh you i can see that moment happening and we're like they're in the middle of the game and they're not really getting it and then like in the middle of they're just like oh oh I just realized what I was doing wrong. And then they're like, I got to run it again. Cause I gotta, I gotta try with this, like new, this new game plan that I didn't think of. It's a, it's a fun moment when that like clicks. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. yeah, deck deck. I've enjoyed a lot though. And, and I think just to like real quick recap, um, how to beat it, kill them when they go tall. <laughs> it's like, that's try and play your removal correctly. Um, just like they're trying to play their threats correctly. Um, and make sure if you're playing the things that do have stuff that we mentioned before, where you're, if you want to beat Muna, uh, just keep in mind, they have no removal. So you can go ham on your big plans early or late if you want to wait for them to commit, but just know that they aren't leaving the board once they're there. I think actually Muna is one of the decks where Lyra is probably the scariest. If you I can if fall I, in an anchor and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, they could because like we said, right with the Lyra, Lyra plays Muna, but better when Muna's hitting its roles correctly. So and Lyra has removal in it too. Lyra has the cocoon that they can use on on your big things. So um that's Lyra's probably actually one of Muna's hardest matchups, uh, along with Izmir, um, because Izmir just has so much removal. Yeah. Um and I think, you know, it's got fair matchups. I think in, in like Axiom and Bravos both feel like fairly reasonable. Uh, Ordis is probably pretty reasonable too. I think it's like not, um, I don't think it'd be super strong against Muna. I think it's, it's. It will depend on if you can get your anchors when you need them. Cause if you yeah. can't get your, your dudes to stay on the field to combat their little dudes, uh, the, the little dudes will get too much early game ground. But that's the advantage you have. It's like when you can anchor something down, like you anchor, if you if you're able to anchor the uh, the little spindle harvesters with a with a boost counter on them from playing them first, you're now you have a two one one which is going to that that beats as long as you care about forest right and again you got to be thinking about your map but as long as you care about forest that beats the one 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 soldier so yeah fun fun matchups though yeah but all in all that was uh that was all six factions of the demo decks um, yeah any other ending ending words on any of the factions or i just want to say i I hope this yeah yeah, i think that was good i i hope people found this somewhat enlightening i you know i know there's gonna be people out there i know if you're listening to this podcast you're like and you're a hardcore altered content consumer this wasn't maybe necessarily the like the maybe you know maybe it's interesting here from our perspective but i don't think we've like enlightened you about necessarily any like mega strategies or anything um 
And as we continue this podcast on, as Altered hits Kickstarter, as Altered starts to become more of a known quantity, we'll be transferring our content over time into being a little bit more uh, advanced player oriented, a little bit more like ingrained player oriented. We hope to always be approachable because Altered itself is a super approachable game. Um, but I just hope that for a lot of the people who are just kind of finding out about Altered, just trying to like get into things, they found this maybe an interesting experience that might might have got a few new thoughts about how to play certain decks. Um, and I mostly I hope you're just excited to go play more Altered because after every time I do a po this podcast, we do podcast podcasts like this about any game afterwards. I'm like, I got to go play that game more. I got to go play right now. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. And very soon, too, we'll have we'll have a bunch of gameplay coming up on the channel. Um, we have a we have a physical game recorded um, that I, it's going to take a bit of editing, so I'm working on that. But we just found out about Exalted, which is the fan made digital platform. And uh, as soon as that is running, there will be a run of gameplay videos coming to main deck. I'm so, very excited, so make sure you're subbed to the channel if you want to see Altered gameplay. We're going to be dropping it as soon as we can, um, getting a whole bunch of gameplay out there. And uh, Jordan, why don't you go ahead and take yeah. us out of here? Yeah. So. As Dan said, uh, as the day comes to a close, those were our fleeting thoughts. Thank you guys very much for watching, and we look forward to chatting with you in about two weeks. See ya.